turn to Acts chapter 2, and that's where we've been, and that's where we're going to be. And, uh, and really what I'm doing, my role this morning is to set up, you ready for this, today in the next seven weeks, okay? So today in the next seven weeks, so we're setting up uh, uh, what, 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 what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And here's why, okay? We've been looking at life post-resurrection, right? Jesus has resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. He gave instructions to the 140 people or so, right? They went back to the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell, right, on, these, on, on the early church. Peter begins to preach, and we've talked about the miracle that that was, that Peter was the one to preach. And there were really four things about his message for every believer that are essential that were inward, that we've talked about. Anybody remember any of the four we've talked about over the last three weeks? This is, this is a test. The Holy Spirit, that was last week. The Holy Spirit, good memory. Okay, we got one week. Is, is our helper, yep, the Holy Spirit. Alex, what you got? Repentance. He says, repent and be baptized. Inward, outward expression of faith, right? Repent and be baptized. Anybody remember the first one? Lordship. Good job. Good job. Give yourselves a pat on the back for remembering that. Awesome. If you're online, I just know you remembered. All right. And so that's awesome. You probably woke up this morning to watch the last four sermons and leading up to this just to be ready for today. So I'm proud of you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Lordship, repent and be baptized and the importance of living in accordance with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the scripture says that Peter said many other things, right? He doesn't uh, we, Luke doesn't clue us in to what those many other things are, Luke who wrote the book of Acts, but uh, he doesn't clue us into what those other things are, but he said many other things, and 3,000 were added to their number daily. 3,000 were added to their number, 3,000, uh, excuse me, not daily, but 3,000 were added to their number, uh, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. I don't believe that's pastor numbers. I believe that's legit, right? About 3,000 souls. And then verse 42, the whole thing shifts from inward to outward, and he lays out in verses 42 through 47, eight essential practices to engage with as the body of Christ for growth. All of these are, are outward. All of these are things that we do. All of these things are tangible, measurable, right? That we do to engage with the body of Christ. And so he, he, he transitions, Luke, Dr. Luke transitions, and they devoted themselves. Now that's interesting, and that's where I want to focus in for the next five minutes. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. We were, um, we were in the basketball court all day yesterday. Uh, I think the girls had like five basketball games, and, and uh, none of them were at the same time. And so, and so we just, we were, we were down in Saco all day yesterday um, and, and watching a basketball court. And uh, one of the refs I kind of uh, had a relationship with from my coaching days when I used to question everything that he called. And... Um, that's probably the best way to say that. 
And, uh, and, and we, so we, we have a little bit of a relationship. It was his birthday yesterday, and so we were talking, and I was running the scoreboard. And in between games, we were talking about just what some of the things he's seen. Some of the things he's seen. And he talked about how there was a growing deterioration of the fundamentals of basketball that he saw in kids' sports. Now, hear me. I'm not coming here attacking rec basketball or youth basketball. Remember, we're, I'm, I'm talking about fourth and fifth grade basketball, okay? And so I'm not talking about these kids going to Division I athletes or anything like that. But what we were talking about was a bigger issue, okay? That we, right, don't devote ourselves as a people to the basics anymore. How many business owners have you talked to in the last few months or last few years that say this, and I quote, if you know anybody that's looking for a job, I cannot find good help anymore. I can't tell you the number of business owners I've talked to that just say, I just need somebody that'll show up for work on time. I just need somebody that'll be here. I just, I can teach them how to do the job, but I just need somebody to be responsible right? Um, I was talking to a business owner. He hired a, uh, a person, and, and uh, the person decided to show up for the first time on his fourth day of work. And the guy's like, yeah, this just isn't going to work out. And so, um, best of luck to you next time. And the reason I believe this that, that we have, and, and so I'm, I'm not going to say I think, I believe that the reason things are like this among us is because we are stretched so thin, we're trying to devote ourselves to so many things that a lot of our commitments and responsibilities become an afterthought. How frustrating is it in a friendship, in a relationship, where you feel like you're the afterthought. That's frustrating, isn't it? It's disappointing, right? It's hard, to, it's hard at times to, to love people like that. And what, what Luke is talking about here, and I, believe, and I believe the early church modeled, they devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves, and that word devote ought to mean something to us as a people, and even deeper as the body of Christ. If you were to look up the word devotion, it literally means this, love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. Love, a passion, right? A loyalty, an enthusiasm for a person, an activity, or a cause. And I was reading this week how um, there was a pastor who wrote like a huge article in 2017 about exactly what we're talking about from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And he says this, he says, devoted people are a more fulfilled people. A devoted people are more fulfilled. And he says they're more fulfilled for three reasons. And the first one is this, none of these are going to come as any surprise to us. But devoted people are more fulfilled because, number one, they're all in. They're all in. They're committed. They're not half-hearted. They're not wishy-washy. They don't have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. 
right? They, they don't. They don't. They don't have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. I was thinking this morning, driving to church, right after I got my coffee, and I was looking down at my little uh, thermometer on my dash, and it said minus one degrees. And you know what came into my mind? North Carolina. <laughs> Isn't there a song about that, Carolina on my mind? Yeah. Anyway, it, North Carolina came on my mind, and I thought... You know, there was a time, there was a time maybe eight, nine years ago, regrettably, right, that I would have had that thought and thought, oh man, I wonder if there's a position open down (laughs) I wonder if there's a place I could go. You know what my thought was this morning? This is home. I don't want to have one foot in North Carolina and one foot in Maine, right? I don't want that. Why? You don't want that. You don't want a half-hearted, wishy-washy pastor that wishes he was somewhere warm. I may joke about it, but I don't, want, I don't want to go down to North Carolina, right? Who wants to miss out on the fun of negative temperatures? You hear me? I mean, we were devoted people. There were a group of guys that went skiing Friday night, one of the coldest days of the winter, and they had a blast, right? They're crazy, but they're devoted, right? They're devoted people. They're not wishy-washy. They're not half-hearted. My question for us this morning, what are you devoted to? What are you all in on? What are you giving your all to? Ecclesiastes 9.10, Solomon says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The second reason devoted people are more, more fulfilled, not only are they all in, but they're a focused people. Devoted people are focused. Devoted people are focused. Listen, we've already talked about this for, for a second. Ian, get ready, get ready. Start to warm up, okay? You can't be devoted to 20 things. You can't be. You can't be devoted to 20 things. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us are trying? You can't be. And listen, I know the tension. I know the tension. Because I battle this tension all of the time. Yeah, but it's, it's arrogant. It's prideful to say no. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's more arrogant and prideful, and you disappoint more people if you overcommit yourself to devoting to too many things, and then you have to backtrack and let those people down. You cannot devote yourself to 20 things. This means we've got to be focused. We've got, there's got to be concentration, discipline, intentionality. Devote yourself. So devoted people are more fulfilled because they're all in. They're focused. And number three, devoted people tend to persevere. They tend to persevere. We persevere because we believe in what we're devoted to. There's perseverance because there's a belief in what we're devoted to, right? We're talking about it right now. We've got like 10 weeks left here before we're going to be portable church, right? A quote-unquote portable church. Technically, we're already portable because we don't own this anymore. And so we're just, we're just taking up space here. We've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks. And, and if I could push you a little bit, and I'm going to push you, and then I'm going to sit down and let Ian deal with the repercussions of me pushing you, okay? But, but, but. But here's the thing, I would follow this church anywhere. You know why? Because I believe in what God's doing here. 
I believe in what God's doing here. I believe in what God's doing here. And so if we start meeting in Freiburg in 10 weeks, we're not going to. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Right? I'd go there. I'd show up. I would preach. You know why? Because I'm devoted to this people. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to the mission and the vision that we have here and what God is doing here. And the reason, the reason that I believe we see so much struggle within the church today is because that the people that fill the chairs or the pews within the church or whatever you got aren't truly devoted to the mission and the vision of what God is doing in that place. And it starts with the heart. Lordship. Repent and be baptized. Follow the Holy Spirit. And they devoted themselves to these things. Apostles teaching. Fellowship. Breaking of the bread. The prayers. Signs and wonders. All the things we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks. But hear me, we have to be willing to go all in. We have to be willing to be focused on the right things as a people. And we've got to be willing to persevere. So Pastor Ian is going to come and talk about our first one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which I'm going to hit next week and to the fellowship. And I thought Ian would be appropriate to come and give this message because he does our small groups, which is where we see fellowship. He does our communities and our different age group ministries with children's ministry and youth ministry. So his quote-unquote job, if you can call it that, calling if you can call it that, is fellowship. But what we're going to talk about over these next eight weeks is not just these cute little messages, but the fact that God has called us to devote ourselves to these things. Devote ourselves to the teaching. Devote ourselves to the fellowship. Go all in. Don't be wishy-washy. One foot in, one foot out. I might be here, I might not be. Persevere focus. So Father, I pray for Pastor Ian as he comes and brings this message. God, I pray that you fill him with your spirit. I pray that these words would not be his words, but they would be your words. God, I pray that you would call us to devote ourselves to these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So I heard that we're supposed to push you. Was that the, the message there? <laughs> Yeah, so I just, I just keep going with that. <laughs> um, they devoted themselves, uh, of all things, to fellowship. They devoted themselves to potlucks? I mean, I, I can get behind a good potluck. Like, don't get me wrong. But the idea that this is included with, with teaching and with prayer, it, it's in a different category for me when I, when I begin to think about this because fellowship is 
Everybody fellowships, right? You can fellowship at Comic-Con, right? You can fellowship anywhere. You can fellowship with your, with your bowling league, right? Fellowship in the world is anything, anytime, any place where people get together that have common interests, shared interests, okay? It's something that they can, can come around each other and they have something in common, something unique to them. And I think we're designed to seek that out. I think we're designed to, to be around people and to find people. From a young age, we start gravitating towards different people. But I think there's something unique to the fellowship of the church. And I think we have to ask ourselves, before we can even become devoted to that, right, which is what we're called to, why do we even need fellowship at all? Because I'm thinking of the person who's been, who's been hurt, right? I'm thinking of the person who's gone through that small group experience, who's served in a ministry and has had such a negative experience that they've been turned off to church altogether. I'm thinking of people who are introverted, people who, who keep to themselves and think, I'm better off by myself. Trust me, you don't want this. <laughs> and I've seen the way you live, and I don't want that either. <laughs> and I get it. We're messed up. We're broken. But Luke in here is clearly calling out the fact that fellowship was key to the early church. Not just here, in other places that we'll see. Fellowship was part of the identity of the church. So much so that it's, they didn't devote themselves to fellowship, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Right? There's the definite article in there that the church itself was the fellowship. And so, as we unpack this a little bit, I want to try and show you that fellowship is worth devoting ourselves to. Because if we're really going to be who God has called us to be as individuals and as a corporate body, there needs to be fellowship. There needs to be this idea of koinonia, which is the Greek word for that, which means participation in, an affiliation with. You're ascribing to something, you're identifying with something. You're, dare I say, engaging with it. There's two reasons why I see that we need to fellowship. The first the first reason is for protection. Plain and simple, we need to protect ourselves and each other. In Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to spend some time in there for a little bit to start that off. Because in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, we see one of the reasons why we need the protection of fellowship. Verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's calling us out for the evilness that can, that can creep into our heart. I have a propensity to sin, right? I'm a new creation. I'm born again. But if you've known me for five minutes, you know there are things that I deal with on a daily basis that, ha- that have the potential to pull me away. And it is a constant struggle. So if I'm going to persevere, if I'm going to hold our original confidence firm to the end, I need you around me to exhort me, to challenge me, because I am this close every day to giving in. If we jump ahead a little bit, there's, there's a second piece to that because I see also a vulnerability. I think we can get so discouraged by the things of this world. I think we can get beaten down and worn down and exhausted and discouraged. And so we need to protect ourselves from that. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 23 to 25, he says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one up Stir, one an- stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another, stirring one another up to good works. Because we are in a fight There is an enemy who sees the potential of the church that's together, right? Satan knows what happens when Christians unite and come together. And he tries everything in his capacity to separate us, to break us apart, to isolate us, to get us away from people using any means that he can. And he let's not kid ourselves, is very good at what he does. Sowing seeds of doubt, division, arrogance and pride. He gets in. And fellowship is a weapon against that. Chad Ashby is a pastor. He he wrote an article for Design God on hospitality. And he says this, Whether scheduling issues, sports practices, fatigue, or money constraints, there will always be a reason not to invite each other over for dinner. But hospitality is worth the fight. 
When you survey your kitchen at the night's close and it's filled with dirty silverware, piles of plates, and a sink overflowing with greasy pans and pots, may you realize these are the well-used weapons of our war against the darkness. Make your ladles, casserole dishes, and cookie sheets become your trusty sidearms in our fight to expand the kingdom. I bet you never thought of it that way. I know I did it. But there's a unity that comes around from sharing a meal. There's a, there's a bond that's forged over sharing a meal together. Some of my best experiences are at a dinner table. And it's chaotic. It's absolutely chaotic. But there's joy in that. Second reason why we need to devote ourselves to the fellowship is because God commands it. God commands it, and we fellowship in response to obedience. In response to obedience. John 13, uh, verses 34 and 35 Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, that if you love one another, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not if you have an amazing worship service on Sunday morning. Not if you put on huge events. Not if you bring in the best band and the best speaker. We already have the best speaker. But anyway, uh, it is the way we love each other is how God chose to show the world. The way that we love each other. It goes one step further in 1 John 4.20. He takes it even further and says this. If anyone says... I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So simple. Until we meet our brothers and sisters and spend time with them and allow them in. Maybe get hurt by them. Maybe get betrayed by them. And we get jaded. And we get skeptical. And we get guarded. And we put walls up. And yet if we're going to obey, this is what we need to do. Right? And we have that need. There's, there's our need to obey for us. Because we need to fellowship with God first before we can fellowship with any others. And God is calling us to fellowship with Him and then go and fellowship with others. The second thing is that we also need to consider others and the need of others. And if we're going to obey, as much as we need fellowship, 
We need to be fellowship to other people. Unfeigned, genuine, practical love has a divinely generated magnetic power far more effective than evangelistic programs which depend almost entirely on verbal communication. People don't want to hear us talk about love. They want to experience how Christian love really works. Jesus says there, back in the Gospel of John, this is how people will know that you are my disciples. That's a proclamation of the gospel. That's evangelism through fellowship. If we obey, right, simple obedience of loving people and welcoming them into our lives, the gospel goes forth. And people get saved. It's not rocket science. And we think it's more complicated than that. But I promise you that people in your life that you come into contact with are so desperate for Christian love and fellowship. If we can demonstrate that, we can win them to Christ simply by being obedient. So it's those two reasons, but I also wanted to go a little bit further because I think there's fruit in fellowship, if you need even more reason. Because we see fruit from fellowship, right? It's not something that we just do. God is good, and he is gracious. And when we obey, he pours out blessings on us. The first one being togetherness. Simple fellowship and community that we're together as we continue in, the book, in, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to hit this later, but I wanted to touch on it a little bit. In 44 to 46, they were together. Because we've probably experienced this more this past year than we have before. The dangers of isolation. And the dangers of loneliness. And back in March when this was fun and we got to take a break from our hectic schedules that changed very quickly when we started missing friends and family. And so we, we come to value being together. And I don't want to miss that. And I think back to some of the to some of the experiences that we've had, the, the pandemic picnics that some of us were a part of over the summer and spring where we were able to be together outside and the, the simplicity of that. There was no program. There was no logistics. We met and ate and it was beautiful. And I think it was exactly what so many of us needed There was also unity in their fellowship. They were united in all things, it says. They had all things in common. doesn't mean that they were uniform. It doesn't mean that they were identical. But they were united in the important things 
And everything else faded away. Uh, I was reading out of Jonathan Edwards during the First Great Awakening in the 1730s. And the people in the town that he was pastoring began to get accused of ignoring worldly things. They were neglecting the things of this world because they had so much concern for fellowship and the things of God. And the townspeople began to kind of criticize them, which is always what happens whenever there's a move of God. They were so consumed with God and being with Him and being together that worldly things were an afterthought. They were united. The third thing that we see that comes from fellowship is perseverance. And we need that. Tom Rainer, he's an author and he, he runs a ministry. He studied a ton of churches and found that people who joined a small group were five times more likely to still be at church five years later than people who only attended on a Sunday morning. Five times more likely if they were in a small group. You can see where I'm going with that, right? We're going to get to that in a little bit. Small groups, wink, wink. Five times more likely to still be involved in the church. When you have people around you in a small group who notice if you're missing, if you have accountability to the people that you're around and that you fellowship with, it's that much harder to break away. It's that much harder to fall through the cracks. And so if you're interested in persevering this morning, if you're watching online and and are struggling and want to persevere, everything that I've seen has pointed to small groups, to the fellowship that happens with with a group of people that can know you and love you. Out of that is the fourth thing, which is just joy. It's just joy. We've spent the morning before service, the worship team and people serving, laughing over a 90s worship night that some of us, some of us want to have. And it's interesting, it's interesting that in a book that I read on church growth and church development, one of the indicators of church growth was how much you laugh as a church. Isn't that interesting? They were asking questions about fellowship, and one of the indicators was how often you laugh as a church. Joy. That comes from being with people that have the same hope as you, that have the same life as you. And the last thing is growth. Proverbs 27 17 As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's in those times, it's in that fellowship, it's in those relationships. 
that we push each other to growth, to becoming more like Christ. And so finally, and I want to wrap this up real quick, what are the things that we need to do to engage with the fellowship? What needs to happen for me and for you to get to a point where we are engaging in fellowship? And the first thing I think of, here's the push. We need to repent. I talked about that recently, right? I feel like I heard a message somewhere about repentance. Where have I withheld fellowship from people? Where have I intentionally or unintentionally closed myself off to the fellowship of the church? Either because I didn't think I would be wanted or because I saw the people around me and didn't want to be around them. So here's our chance to do something about it. Where have you withheld yourself from fellowship and where have you withheld others from fellowship? Where we did not let people in. Where we liked what we had and didn't want people to ruin it. And just to think that I'm not talking out of my own experience or that I don't have a leg to stand on, Paul has two examples in the New Testament of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 22, the passage that precedes what we read for the Lord's Supper, you know the reason why he, that's in 1 Corinthians? is because when the Corinthian church would meet... They weren't fellowshipping well. Their potlucks were not going well. Because some people would jump to the front of the line and would take all the food. And some people who had nothing would not eat. It's a fascinating passage that we look at, the brokenness of a church that doesn't love each other well. And Paul comes in and says no, yeah, yeah. He comes in and says, no, we need to fix this. The second example is in Galatians chapter 2. And again, Paul, Paul didn't pull any punches because he came into a fellowship lunch where Peter was sitting with some, some Gentiles, hanging out, having a good time, loving on them. And then in a high school cafeteria, he saw the Jews come in and said, oh, I got to go sit with them. And Paul calls him out to his face. <laughs> he was eating with Gentiles, fellowshipping. I imagine sitting at the Gentile table and feeling that and seeing Paul get up and say, oh, I can't sit with you anymore. One of the most beautiful examples of fellowship is God bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles. And you can look into this, and this is so rich. Because Peter, in Acts chapter 10, he said that Jews weren't even allowed to visit Gentiles, and yet, here we are today. So I gotta, I gotta keep going, I gotta keep going. The second thing is we gotta commit. We have to commit. And saying that, for me, this is going to be value. This is going to be a priority. I'm not going to give the fellowship what's left on my calendar. I'm going to make this a priority. I'm going to say to myself, as much 
as this is the most uncomfortable thing for me, I'm going to engage. And the last thing is to act, is to do something. If there's nothing you see in the church that connects to you, that appeals to you, start your own way to fellowship with people. The chances are there's somebody here, there's somebody here that has something in common with you, okay? Whether it's skiing at Shawnee Peak or playing board games or whatever. We had a knitting group, special interest group, a couple years ago that just got together and knit. It's that simple. R.C. Sproul said that we know the quote, the family that prays together stays together. And he tweaked it and said the family that prays together and plays together stays together. And that's my hope for you and why you have this insert and why you can go online and look at the small group offerings that we are rolling out next week. Because what I want you to do is take this home and pray over this and see where can I engage with people in the church? Where can I connect? Where can I take that first step in opening up and experiencing the love and the joy that is the fellowship? And the beautiful thing about that list as I was putting that together is that there's two groups on there. There's two groups that aren't on there because they're already full and they've already made relationships and connections with each other. And they've been meeting. And I want that for all of us. I want that for all of you. that you find a people here at Summit who can be your family, closer than your family, because we need it, because God commands it, and because it's good for us. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to close... Fellowship is a beautiful, messy thing. You might not feel like you're good at it. Don't worry, everybody else in the circle is messy too. But I pray that we find fellowship and devote ourselves to it because it's part of our identity as the church. We're not individuals anymore. When we signed on to this faith thing, we said, I'm not just a person. I'm, I'm a member of a body. And we function best when we're connected to the body.